Good morning, my name is Jordan, pastor here, and if I haven't met you yet, I would love to do that. We're glad that you're here with us. We wanted to wait until everybody was well into their Christmas purchasing and out of money Amen. to talk about money. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, I'm kidding, kind of, but um, you know, we, we point out often that one of the benefits and the reasons we love preaching through books of the Bible is we get to blame the Bible for hard text and not us. Like It's not like I wanted to preach this, it's just where Malachi takes us. Uh, but the other piece of that, and that's true, uh, it is because it keeps, uh, keeps us from uh, shielding ourselves from hard things too, and, um, and we believe that all the Bible is, is good and, and profitable, as it says about itself. But more than that, um, it also, doing it this way allows us to see the beauty and the fullness of the context. Uh, this passage here is a passage that is often used as a proof text to talk about tithing, to talk about giving. And one of the dangers that you have when you just lift a text out of, you know, out of the Bible and just talk about it from a topical standpoint is you, you, you run the risk of losing a lot of what God was saying because it's out of the context. And so today we're going to see um, more than just a command to tithe, but the heart behind what God was saying. So another couple of things that we say often here is that um, God doesn't need our money, right? But he wants our hearts. So we talk about that each week when we talk about giving. Um, we're not here to, to try to get money out of you. God doesn't need your money. Psalm says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? He's good, I promise. Right? He ain't going to miss a meal if you don't give. So what, what is this? Why do churches do this? And certainly, we've all known stories or maybe personally experienced churches uh, misusing texts like this and other commands in Scripture to, to, to seemingly uh, milk people for money for uh, maybe a pastor's prosperity or for the pursuit of the brand of the church or some other less than pure reason. And so a lot of us have our guards up. And, and I will just say that that is me. Uh, I think y'all, like if you've been here a while, you know that that is me. Like I have my guard up when, when, when uh, churches start talking about money. I've seen it go badly. I, and, I, and I have just like a real fear of any hint of that. Like, I so badly want you to be able to come into this place and hear about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And I know that because of the abuse of some other men, women, and uh, in churches, that when you start talking about money, sometimes flags go up, walls go up, and nothing else is heard. And, and so we just, when we don't want to do that. We want to communicate the heart of God. Um, we want you to hear um, the truth of, of the gospel and the good news of the gospel. But I've been in error in that because, because of that fear in myself, I have not brought the word to you in the way that the word is brought to us sometimes. And so this passage is from a prophet calling out God's people, and it is unapologetically about money. God knows that to get to a, a pulse on the spirituality of his people, the best thing to do is to put his finger on their finances, that that will tell them him something that will be an indicator um, an evaluation of where their heart is. Jesus says the same thing, right? He says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So this is, this is why the Bible takes us into places like this. Um, and, and, uh, but there's, there's a surprising twist, I think, because some of the reaction from, from those of us that want to guard against uh, abuse of money and we, we don't want any hint of prosperity gospel, sometimes we don't preach the, the fullness of what God invites us to and, and promises us when we give. And so this passage is going to kind of end, it's going to seem a little bit like a prosperity gospel promise, if you will. And so we're going to set in that and try to unpack all of that because the other thing that we say often is that God is never trying to take from us. He's always trying to lead us to life. God's rules, God's commands, God's instruction, though they may feel like they're infringing on our, on our, on our freedoms and on our pursuit of what we feel like we uh, are entitled to or what would really make us happy, behind those, there's always the heart of a good father who is not trying to steal from us, but rather is trying to lead us to life. And I think if we'll look closely together at this passage this morning, you'll see um, that this is a great example of both of those things, both that, that God doesn't need our money, but he wants our hearts, and that he's always trying to lead us to life. He's not trying to steal from us. So let's look at this passage together from verse 6 of chapter 3. This, this verse right here kind of looks backwards and forward. It's tying in the previous passage where they've been talking about uh, you know, wanting God to show up and be uh, a God of judgment and God bring justice on these people who don't seem to care about you because right now we're seeing them flourish. 
and it's making us think, what's the point? If people that are doing evil and don't care about you, God, they seem to be doing really well and they're prospering. Why should we keep being faithful to you? That's the passage we looked at last week. And so they're, they're asking, God, where's, where are you? Are you going to show up and deliver justice or not? And we unpack that we got to be careful what we wish for there because justice would wipe us all out. Instead, what God shows us is grace. And, and he prepares a way for his people to withstand the justice and the judgment by sending Jesus to be a purifier and a refining fire. So we looked at that last week. And as we move into this next um, disputation from the Lord where he's having a conversation with um, his people, this is, I want you to have the picture of, of a family meeting, right, where God is coming and, and calling a meeting with his people and, and discussing some things going over hard things. They have issues. They're far from the Lord. They have beef with, with God. They think that he's mistreating them, or that he's not fulfilling his end of the bargain. He's not showing up with his promises. God said, okay, let's talk. So as we move into this next conversation, that verse kind of ties both of them, and it says, for I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, there's a lot going on in this, uh, but this is tying the two together, but it's also saying, Hey, listen, the reason you haven't been consumed is because, not because you're better than the rest of the world, right? Because we get in trouble when we compare ourselves horizontally, don't we? We start thinking, well, I'm not that bad, so you know, God, God would pick me for his team because I'm not like them. He says, no, no, the reason you haven't been consumed is because I am good and I don't change. He says, because I don't change, you haven't been consumed, oh, children of Jacob. Now, there's, there's a lot to that that I wish we could unpack a little bit more, but he usually calls them children of Israel. If you know the story, Jacob was, the, was uh, <clears throat> the, the descendant of Abraham, and his name was Jacob, and he was a deceiver and a liar, and he was not faithful, but God took him through a journey that brought him into a place of humility and, uh, and faithfulness, and he changed his name to Israel. And so usually, these are the children of Israel. So calling them the children of Jacob has a little bit of a a little bit of a reminder for them that they're acting more like Jacob than they are like Israel. They're acting more like a people who are unfaithful and, and kind of finding their, you know, manipulating their way through the system than they are people who are being faithful to their God. But he says, it's because I do not change that you are not consumed. For the, from the days of your fathers, you have you've turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. So he's saying, listen, we've, I've had this covenant with you and you have consistently failed. But because I've made a covenant, because I've made a promise, you've been spared. So if you remember covenant language from a few weeks ago when he called them out for their marriages, uh, marriage is meant to be a, a picture, an illustration of the bigger covenant that God has with his people. And this idea of covenant is, is different than a contract. If you remember that contract says, I'll do this as long as you do that. You stop doing this and I'll stop doing that. That's not what a covenant is, right? Contracts aren't bad. We do that with businesses and stuff. That's fine. But in marriage and in our relationship with God, how God treats us, it's a covenant. And it's saying, I will do this, period, full stop. I'm in. I love you. I'm there. I will be here for you. And God says, it's because I made that promise that I haven't consumed you in judgment because you've been unfaithful. So this is God saying, hey, this relationship won't end. So we got to find a way to reconcile. This is how marriages work. I don't know if you know that. It's by closing the back door. You have no exit plan. you got to work on stuff, don't you? Right? If you have a plan to get out, you got a prenuptial agreement, you got a plan for divorce, you talk about it, you're just waiting to see. You're not going to do the hard work. You're not going to do the hard work in marriage, right? Because you got you got an out. But if you close that back door and say, no, we're in. We made this covenant. I'm here. I will, period. I'm here. I will, period. Now we got to work it out, don't we? We gotta figure it out. We gotta do the work. And that's what God is saying. We're not going anywhere in this relationship. You're my people. I'm your God. You're acting like fools. You think you got some stuff to say, but I'm not gonna leave you. So we gotta work this out. So he says, the end of verse seven, return to me. Return to me. I haven't left. You've walked away. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, okay, so this is common in, in Malachi. God will call them out for something, and then he, he will answer for them because he knows their hearts, right? So he says, return to me. And, and they say, how shall we return? Now, what's actually being said there is more like, how would we return, Lord? We haven't left. Okay, this is not that they don't necessarily know the way back. They don't think that they've gone anywhere. 
And remember, this is a people that are religious people. This is a people that are checking the box of Christianity. These are people, you ask them how they're doing, how their walk with the Lord is. Well, I'm doing my part. Right? These are religious people who don't see the issues um, that, that God is calling them out for. And so this is very much like a, how are we supposed to come back to you, Lord? We haven't left. This is the, the posture and the response of um, God's people here. And so um, God is going to get to the heart of the issue. So the very next verse, so how shall we return? That's in, that's in quotations speaking for the people. Um, God goes on to say, verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. So again, keep the context here. Before we start talking about money, I want you to hear this is a relationship that God is calling them back to. They have brought indictments before the Lord. They are not living faithfully. They don't think there's any point anymore. They're not sure he's really going to show up. They're not sure he's really going to send the Messiah. they got all these things, and it's affecting how they live. This is the context with which God comes after their giving. This is the context. It's their heart posture, the distance, the relational issue that God is actually concerned about whenever he says, hey, okay, return to me. They say, well, how are we going to return? He goes, listen we got to talk. You, you think I don't know? Is, are you going to rob me? He, he says, really? You think man's going to rob God? You think I don't see what you're doing? Yet you're robbing me. You're robbing me. I want you to think about that. Like, you think about the people that he's talking to. These are people that he's shown great faithfulness, great mercy toward, and great blessing by bringing them into the promised land. Think about all that we know of the scripture, the, the larger context of the scripture. Who made this whole world? Go ahead. Who made this thing? You did? No, no. God, Jesus did, right? God did. Like, this is his deal. This is his earth. And, and so for us to come in and think like, okay, we're entitled to this because I earned this money and so-and-so paid me, it begins to get laughable if you'll be honest with yourself and think about who we are compared to who God is. This is God's world. This is my father's world, right? This is his deal. And so he says, you're going you're gonna to rob me? And they say, how have we robbed you? Okay, this is honest conversation. This is honest, like, confront you know, confronting on God's behalf and, and anticipating the people's response. And they say, how have we robbed you? And God goes on to say, in your tithes and your contributions. Now, we got to understand what the tithe is before we go any further. But what God is going after is the root of their heart, the root of their issues, not just their behavior. He's not looking for them to just fall in line and check a box and do a bunch of religious things. He's coming for their heart. I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about money. He's coming for their heart. He's going deep, right? He, he wants to find their heart. So as Jesus says, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is, you know, Jesus is talking here. He's talking through Malachi, and he's saying, I'm going to find your heart, so I'm going to trace your treasure. I'm going to follow the money. I'm going to see what is really going on with our relationship, what has led you to be unfaithful to me. I want to go after the real root issue. So they've been failing not only in the quality of their their giving and their worship, as we saw a few weeks ago, right, where they're just giving like broken-legged and uh, blind animals for their sacrifice, not just in the quality. They're giving God leftovers as far as like good and bad. God says to give me the best, the first, the perfect. They're giving them what's left over, the stuff they don't really want to use, right, like a salvage, like a, like, a, like a second-hand store, like what you would take to Goodwill or something like that's what they're giving God. But it's not just the quality of their giving, but also the quantity, God is calling them out for not just the quality, but also the quantity. So he's going after their heart through their giving. Now, here's what we understand about the tithe. The tithe was set up, and it means 10%. You've probably heard that in church. You know that that's kind of the, the expectation of what do you give. It's a tithe. It's 10% of your income. You get into all these questions. Is it gross? Is it net? Is it this? Is it that? Do I tithe off this? Right? We get into all these technical questions. I'll give you some practical pointers at the end, but, but the, the, the tithe is set up to be the, the, the standard um, proportional right, gift that each person is to give off the top of their, 
their, their harvest off the top of their income. They give it back to the church. They give it back to the temple, and it has a purpose. It has a plan. So God is, is not, like, this isn't just about funding his church ministry, right? He could do that another way if he wants, but he's going to use the gifts of his people to accomplish his work. So for them, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 14 is one of the, the most uh, succinct places that this is unpacked, but it's really laid out in several different places where God starts to tell him, okay, this is how we're going to operate as a people, right? He, and, and Chad walked us through this a few weeks ago when he was teaching about the priests and the Levites, right? All the other 11 tribes got an inheritance of land, right? So they had their, their, their land, which would yield uh, what they needed to live on, right? But there was one tribe that was commissioned to be the full-time ministers in the church, the Levites, they didn't get an inheritance of land. Instead, they were to live off of 10% of everybody else's gifts. Okay, so 12 tribes, 11 of them get blessed, you know, get gifted an inheritance of land, and it's divided up. All of them give 10% back to the church, and that provides the support for those that are in full-time ministry in this day. So we see Deuteronomy 14. Let's just walk through this just, just briefly. Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23 says this. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock that you, make, that you may learn, right? This is why we give, that we may learn to fear the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to live in awe of the Lord, to love the Lord, and to trust the Lord. That's all wrapped up in this idea of fearing the Lord, that you may learn to fear the Lord always. Skip down to verse 28. He says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled so that the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So there's three things that the tithe is set aside to accomplish. So it's about keeping the people's hearts. That, that's the, the reason, the purpose for the people is to keep their hearts uh, tethered to God so that they learn to always fear him, trust him, put their primary faith in him and not in their finances. We say that all the time. right? We talk about giving. We say God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He knows that we're tempted to trust in our finances, aren't we? Tempted to trust, can we make a little bit more money? I should stay a little bit later at the office. I should stay, take this, whatever. I should, if I can get to this level of income, then, then I'll feel more secure, right? This doesn't always, this doesn't pan out usually with a, uh, a blatant just, you know, you know what? I'm done with God. I'm going to trust in money. Like, we don't usually make that decision. It's much more subtle, isn't it? It's thinking, well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not secure. If I can just get here. Whatever here is. And you've ever noticed how here is a moving target? Isn't it? Because you get here and you're like, well, I mean, here's okay, but I think here would be even, a, like, here's where I'll really be able to be generous, God. Let me get here and then I'll be faithful. And then you get here. Anybody? And then you're like, ah, I mean, I know what I said, God, but, I mean, could you think what we could do if I could get here? Right? And so it's a moving target. And this is, <clears throat> so uh, the heart behind the reason that God doesn't just fund his ministry another way is he, want his people, he wants his people to stay engaged and to stay tethered to him in trust. But the purpose, the, the thing that he's going to do with the money that they bring, it's not just going to be burnt up in an offering. You know, something, you know sometimes that's, that's part of what God does. It's just consumed as an act of worship. But there's a purpose to these gifts. There's a purpose to this tithe. The first is to provide for those that are in full-time ministry, right? Which is why it's awkward for me, a person in full-time ministry, to talk to you about money. It should be awkward. If I get too cocky about this, you should probably call me out, right? Because I don't want to be manipulating you to give more so that I can make more. Right? That's not how this is supposed to work, right? But, but the money that, the, that people give is what supports those that are in full-time ministry. But the second part is, you heard in there, they bring it once every three years, I think was, was uh, talked about there. And this is put up in a, in a place where it's a gift and the Levites come. That's those in full-time ministry. They're going to stock their kitchens. They're going to fill their freezers. They don't have freezers, but they're going to fill their storehouses, right? They're going to go and get what they need. But who else? The sojourners, the widows. The fatherless, who is this? This is the vulnerable. 
This is God making means for people who are suffering and who are struggling. Sojourner here, refugee. Somebody who's fleeing their country because of persecution or whatever. Are we supposed to care for them? Listen, we get into a lot of conversations about what is the role of the government in social security and all these different things. That is not the point of this conversation. This is what is the role of the church in these sorts of things. And we are to ask that question, right? People get nervous. Jordan sounds like a socialist. I'm not. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bibleist. We want to let this set on us and bear its weight and go, okay, what's our role? What should we be doing to make sure that people who are struggling have what they need? This is part of what the tithe is supposed to do. Take care of those in full-time ministry and also take care of those who are struggling, the sojourner, the widow, the orphan, those who are vulnerable should be cared for by God's people. And then it's also a means to supply resources for God's people to celebrate together. God's going to do, he's going to command that they party. God's awesome. I don't know if you know that. You need to read the Bible again because it's awesome. He says, listen, I want you all to party. I want you to celebrate multiple times a year. I want you to remember this event by this festival. And I want you to, and I want you to do it big. Like he gives them specific instructions. I want you to have this much meat. I want you to have this much bread. I want you to do this much wine. It's going to be awesome. Why? Because he wants their hearts to remember what he's done. Remembering is such a key point in all that God is wanting us to do. Is remember who he is. That's what keeps our hearts inclined to remember him. So he wants his people to be able to celebrate together, to do fellowships together. So... We need money for that. So that's part of what the tithe is there for. So provide for those in ministry, care for those that are poor, and provide means for the church to celebrate together, for God's people to celebrate together. So this has been the rhythm and the, and the instruction um, since the beginning for God's people to give 10%. And really, that 10%, that's just the tithe. There's other offerings. There's other almost taxes that are involved there. Really, when you boil down what they, what that. Uh, Israelite was actually commanded to give back to God. It was more like 23%. This 10% is just the tithe that is for those purposes. When you get into these other offerings that are there, it, it's, it's a much higher percentage. And so we'll talk about why the New Testament doesn't go there in just a bit. But, but you need to know, this is how God has set up his people. But this is not, like, this is not God needing some cash for himself. This is not a stingy king upping the tax. This is a God saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you well. But when you get into that blessing, I don't want you to forget who got you there. I don't want you to forget who sustains you. And so as you're blessed, I want you to give back so that your heart continues to trust in me. That's why it's proportional giving. Some will be blessed with more. Some will make more income, Right? That's why it's proportional. He says, as you're blessed, I want you to give back to me so that our hearts stay tethered so you don't forget. who. So this is who they are. This is who they're supposed to be as a people. This is who has shaped the, the nation of Israel. They know this. But here, people in Malachi, they're struggling, aren't they? They're in a recession. Not really. They're just, they're in a rebuild. They're in, it's not a recession. It's just like, man, they're coming back from a total destruction They've rebuilt the temple, and they are struggling financially, struggling as a nation. Their economy is, is in the dump. They're not receiving the blessing that they thought they would, they would receive. So this starts to get real, doesn't it? Because it's easy to give when you got extra, isn't it? But when you start to feel the rub, right, or you start to feel the, the, the nervousness, COVID-19, a few years ago, like, some of us weren't sure. We're going to still have a job in, 10, you know, in a couple months? Are we still going to be working? What, what's going to happen? Right? What, what's going to come? Right now, how many of y'all have had to redo your budgets over the last year and a half? Okay, y'all should probably have redone your budgets over the last year and a half. <laughs> right? If this is crazy inflation. So we start to feel it, don't we? We start to feel it whenever, whenever it's like, man, the money's not going as far as it used to. I need, I need money to go a little further. So you start looking at, well, where can I take from? I mean, do I, do I really need to give that much to the church? Right? See, it's easy to judge these people in Malachi, but when we get real, this is where they're at. 
So, they're not sure it matters to give the 10% anymore. We've already seen they're given leftovers. They're given lame and beat up animals. So what do they start doing? They go, well, I mean, I know he wants 10%, but if he wants 10%, he's going to have to bless me because if I give 10%, my family's not going to eat. Right? This is what they're facing. If I give 10%, God, what am I going to tell my kids? So where are they going to save? They're going to start, maybe 8% is okay. Maybe, I mean, 5%. I mean, look at this economy, Lord. What do you expect from me? Right? This is what has brought them to this place. This is what God is calling them out. And again, he is not like the collector who's just come, like, listen, my kids have been sick. Uh, We've not been real productive the last two weeks. I've been home, and we've watched movies. Uh, My kids have watched way more screen time. Anybody else? It's like, I just need to survive, so here's a tablet. Um, Don't judge me. This is what we've been doing. So we've watched more movies. So we're watching A Bug's Life. Any of y'all remember that movie? Um, and so, the, you know, the ants, they've been working, working, working to store up, and all of it's for what? An offering to these tyrant grasshoppers, right? right? And they've got it set up for the grasshoppers to come and receive this offering, and then the oaf ant knocks it down, and it falls down, and then the water, and it's gone, and then the, the grasshoppers showed up, and they're like, where's our offering? Where's our offering? We think this is the posture of our God. It's not. This is not our God milking us and tightening down the screws so that we'll do the work so that he can benefit. No, no. This is a father coming after the hearts of his children. And he's saying, listen, I see that you've started to rob me. That says something about our relationship. And we can't go on like this. So come back to me, and I'll come back to you. In fact, he goes so far as to say, verse 9, You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. So he says, listen, guys, the reason you're struggling economically, the reason your crops are getting eaten up, it's because you're robbing me. I'm not going to bless you whenever you're not trusting me. I'm not going to bless you when you're not looking to me to be the blessing. When you think it's coming at your hand, when you think you're entitled to it, There's danger in me giving that to you anyway because you're going to move further and further away from me. God would rather withhold his blessing so it turns our heart back to him than to give us a blessing that leads our hearts farther away. So he's saying, your your land's cursed because you're robbing me. there's There's a direct connection between your unfaithfulness and the suffering and the struggle that you're facing right now. So he says, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, here, come back to me. Remember the question I asked? How, how are we supposed to come back to you? God says, I want your hearts. It's tied to your treasure. Bring the full treasure. But, but, but God, yeah, I know. I know it's going to be scary. But God, I don't know. I know. But God, if I do that... I, I know, he says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. He says, bring it to me that the storehouse may be full. This is where they would gather it all up, and it would, it would be stored, and it would be uh, distributed out to the, to, the, to the Levites, those in ministry, to the poor, right? And then, you know, whenever they need to pay for celebrations, this would, they, they would go into the storehouse. And so he says, bring the full offering to me, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is, this is interesting, because there's other times in the Bible where it is, it is condemned, and it's, uh, and it's offensive to put God to the test. In fact, we're commanded elsewhere not to put God to the test. So what's going on here? This is, this is God saying, I want you to test me. This is God saying, I dare you to trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what he's actually asking for here, because it sounds like prosperity gospel, doesn't it? it look what he says. He says, I, I, like, 
Thereby put me to the test, verse, end of verse 10, and I will, and, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. That's, uh, that's probably um, crop-destroying pest of some sort, right? That's probably a name for like a locust-type deal. He says, I'll rebuke the, the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. Okay? Remember, he, he's, he's, he knows what they're struggling with. He, they're looking at other nations and going, God, they don't give a rip about you, but they're doing well. And that's leading them to go, why should we care? He says, no, no, bring it all to me and see if I don't bless you in such a way that they start taking notice of you. Remember, this was the whole point in the first place. God was going to make them such a people in the promised land that the rest of the world would take note and say, that God must be God. That God must be the God. The way that he loves and provides and cares and fights for his people, I want to worship that God. God says, I, I, I've not bailed on that. That's always been my promise. Bring me what I commanded you to bring me and let me do what I promised that I would do. So he says, then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So again, man, this, this sounds a little bit like, hey, you know, you've seen the guy, the televangelist on TV, send me this much money, sow your seed, brother or sister, and God will bless you a hundredfold or whatever. And he gets on his jet and flies to the next place and says the same thing to the next crowd of poor people. It starts to sound a little bit like this is the kind of passage they would use, but listen, listen closely to who God is and what he's actually saying. What is God leading them back to? To himself. He's not like the grasshopper who's just coming and saying, give us, our, give us our offering. If you give us that, we'll leave you alone. Right? Sometimes we think that's what God wants. Just show up to church once a week, give me a such and such money, and I'll leave you alone through the rest of the week. God's saying, no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. You're mine, and I'm yours, and we're going to do all of life together. So what he's, he's, what he's said, remember the context here? Come back to me. Come back to me. Return to me. And I'll return to you. This is the con so, so what he's calling them to is back to who they were meant to be in the first place. Think back to the formation of this people. Right? You, could, you, you can go all the way back to creation, which we sort of did earlier, but I want you to think back to the formation of his people. We talk about this often. God does miracles through Exodus. Y'all know that? You read that, and he does incredible miracles. We know about the plagues. We know about the Red Sea. We know about bringing uh, water from a rock, manna from heaven. We know about all these things, right? Why does he do these miracles? Because he's forming for himself a people, and he wants these people to be completely and totally dependent and reliant upon him. So what does he do? He gets them out of a slave nation of Egypt. He brings them to a place where they're, they're screwed. They're, they're, they're out of luck. Up a creek without a paddle. However you want to fill that in, right? They, they can't do it on their own. There's nowhere for them to go. God brings them to this place. They can't get out of Egypt on, his, on their own. What does he do? Tent plagues. Gets them out of Egypt. Now they're at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's barreling down on them. There's nowhere to go, right? Why does God do this? Did he miscalculate the route out of Egypt? Dang it. I didn't think about the Red Sea. Crap. They didn't bring their boats. I don't know what I'm going to do, right? No. God brought them there on purpose, so that they would have to face an obstacle that they could never overcome. Why? So that he could show up and do it for them. Then they get over the Red Sea. And Moses really regrets his decision to be a pastor at this point. Because then they're like, hey, what are we going to eat? I don't know. Bring any lunch. <laughs> I don't know, right? But, but here's what God wanted them to say. I don't know, but the God who just did the ten plagues in Egypt, the God who just... Like, open the Red Sea? I bet he's got a plan. That's what he wanted from his people, wasn't it? But was that what they got? No. What are we going to eat? Why'd you bring us out here to kill us? You, you rescued us out of Egypt. Now we're just going to die in the desert? Way to go, Moses. Moses is writing a resignation letter, right? It's a miserable job. He says multiple times, God, I did not birth these people. They are not my responsibility. Right? What does he do? So he brings them to a place. They're hungry. They got no food. It's a desert, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Manna from heaven. 
Oh, that's great. Thanks for the bread, God. Now I'm thirsty. Anybody got a water bottle? Yeah, I sucked the last of my canteen dry eight miles ago, right? What are we going to do? Great. Thanks for the manna, Lord, but now we're going to die of thirst. No. What does he do? He brings them up to a rock. A rock. And water flows out. Why? Because he wants to condition them to be a people who see life as something they can't do on their own so that he could show up for them. He's forming them into a dependent, reliant people over and over and over again. This goes on. And they're like, Lord, I think we're a little protein deficient. This bread and water is okay. I don't like it, but it's okay. I could use some meat. Right? He just sends all these quails, like, right? And then they get a little lippy with him. He's like, all right, you want meat? I'm going to give you all the meat you could stand. And they're like, oh, we're tired of meat. Right? God is teaching them to trust him over and over and over again. Y'all are going to go home and read Exodus, aren't you? You didn't know it was that cool. Read the book. It's awesome. This is what God is doing. He's forming for himself a people. And then he brings them to the promised land. I'm skipping over a lot, but he brings them to the promised land, and he says, this is how we're going to do this. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my people. And as I bless you, give this portion back, and we'll do this thing together, and it'll be so awesome that you'll be like a city set on a hill, and the rest of the world will look and say, man, what's going on in Israel? I need to know about that God. You give honor to me, I'm going to be blessing to you, and it's going to be awesome. But they don't. That's what leads them to exile in the first place. They're back from exile, and they're still worried about money. They're worried about material gains. They're looking at the world and going, God, do you love us? You remember that from chapter 1? God says, I've loved you. And they go, how? Because we're poor. How have you loved us? Right? God's getting to the heart of their issue. And it's evidenced. And they're giving. It's evidenced in their posture toward money. You see, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These people were meant to be a people. We are meant to be a people who treasure God. And God has our hearts. And in that place, we are able to rightly handle, enjoy, and use for the glory the blessings that he gives us. But when we begin to treasure the blessing, we forget the giver. We forget the true treasure. And this is what he's calling out. He doesn't give a rip about their money, y'all. He didn't know that. He wants their hearts. So he says, bring it all to me. And let me bless you. You see, God actually wants, like, our, our culture of, like, independence, and if it's going to be, it's up to me. Like, there's some virtue into that hard work and how we posture ourselves, but it can work against our relationship with God because we're actually supposed to be completely, totally dependent on God. It's in that place of total dependence and reliance on him that he's able to bless us. You see that? He's calling them back to faith. He says, bring it all to me. And see if I don't show up for you. So no, this is not a prosperity gospel. He's not saying, you know, give, 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 and I'll give you more and more and more. The more you give, the more I'll give you. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you enter into, back into a relationship where you're having to trust me. You can see all of their history, they've had to trust God. If God doesn't show up against the Philistines, they're in trouble. If God doesn't show up, in this situation, they're in trouble. If God doesn't show up, so this is how he wants us to live. He's saying, get back into that posture. I know that the tithe seems too much based on what you have right now. Bring it all to me. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. Let me be your provider. Let me open up the storehouses of heavens. Let me rebuke the devourer for you. Let me make sure you have what you need. How many of you have you've seen God just show up and bills just get taken care of and checks just show up and you're like, I don't understand. Nobody knew I, was, I needed this amount of money, but all of a sudden it's here. You start to see that God blesses you in ways when you start to trust him to meet your needs. When, see, if you're just giving what you can and you got to hold on because you're not sure he's good, you're not able to receive the full blessing of what God wants for you. 
This is what he's rebuking. It's not about prosperity gospel. It's about dependent, beautiful, blessing, receiving relationship. This is how God has called us to give. So, here we are, December 11th, 2022. Inflation's crazy. Christmas is here. Credit cards are running up. Right? Lists aren't completely filled, whatever. God says, how we doing? Me and you. No, 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 not about, like, how we doing? Well, God, we're good, but I got to do this. I I, I really got to work this much. I really got to do this. God says, no, how are we doing? Can we we walk through your checkbook? Can we walk? Nobody has that anymore. Like, two of you do. (laughs) It's okay. Three? Okay. Can we walk through your bank statement? Your credit card statement? How are we doing? So what do we do? Well, we trust God with our money. We give what he's asked of us. You're like, well, I don't know. Is it 10%? Is it that? Well, here's the deal. I don't have time to unpack this today, but 10% was the minimum in the old covenant. I see no way under the new covenant where we've been shown grace beyond imagine in Jesus Christ giving himself fully for us? In what way would that logic say, well, we're under grace, not the law now, so I don't have to give 10%. The kingdom always pushes us to more, not less than the law. You remember the the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, I know it said not to commit murder, but I'm telling you, you got to deal with anger. I know it says not to commit adultery, I'm telling you, you got to deal with lust. The kingdom ethic invites us to a greater trust that's not regulated by a minimal law and a minimal like checklist. So I think the reason you don't see a 10% commandment in the New Testament is not because God doesn't care if you give 10% or not. Like it, I think proportional giving, as we're going to see in just a minute, is still there. The reason he doesn't give 10% is he doesn't want to limit it to this minimum, what do I got to do, God? He wants rather to be able to encourage and blow into flame this, this liberal generosity that actually sends forth the kingdom of God into the world. He wants the people who aren't looking at what is the bare minimum I got to do, but rather, Lord, how can we use what you've given us to bless your world, to make much of your name? So, I think 10% is the floor, not the ceiling. It's a good starting place. It's a good target, but what do we do? I, I want to I say quickly before I forget, um, some of you, I know, are so strapped in debt that you don't have a, a half a percent. You need to deal with that. The Bible says you're a slave to that. You're not supposed to be a slave to that debt, the credit card debt, the payment car payments, whatever it is, you're not supposed to be a slave to that. You're a slave to that. You can't be a servant to me. So you need to deal with that. Um, We have an opportunity coming up. Um, Michael and Caitlin Reyes from our church are getting ready to lead a virtual uh, Financial Peace University uh, class starting in January. So we'll be emailing that information out, putting on Facebook this week. You can sign up. If you are you just want to get a better hold on your money in general, but certainly if you're in a place of debt that's crippling you from being generous, being able to worship God rightly, this is a great first step to give you the tools you need to get out of that. So look for that information and make a plan for that. But more practically from the text, what do we do today? How do we go forward in giving? Here's what I think um, we can carry over from this text in Malachi. I want to use the New Testament. I want to let it encourage us and inform us to give in such a way that brings us to a posture where we are trusting God and in that posture where we can receive blessings from God. Okay? It is in that posture of re- reliance and dependence upon him that we're able to receive the blessings that he actually wants for us. So our giving should be proportional. That's what a tithe was, but I think it carries over. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, hey, we should still have a proportional giving. It says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up 
as he may prosper. Okay, so it's not a dollar amount, it's proportional. As you may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is, this is Paul saying, hey, there's a church that is struggling in Rome. We're all gonna, the other churches are going to give a gift so that they can be blessed. He says, I'm going to be coming. I don't want to just do a love offering and take your leftovers on that day. I want you to take a little bit each week, set it aside, and make a plan. As you prosper, you prosper a lot, put more aside. You don't prosper as much, put less aside. But put it aside so that when I come, it is there. So proportional giving. Make a plan. Based off of your income, what like make a plan and give regular, and then so proportional and then willful and joyful, willing and joyful. Second Corinthians nine seven. Y'all know this. God loves a cheerful giver. He says each one must give as he's decided under his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So this should not be this. Okay, what what do you need from me, God? Okay, fine. Can we, are we good now? Can you leave me alone? No, no. This is okay. What what's the need? What are we doing? Oh, man, I can't wait to bless Jesus with this. How much? Okay, all right. I know I can give this. Let me, go, let me, let me make sure it's generous. Let me, and, and with joy, we're offering our gifts to the Lord. Proportional, willing, and joyful, and then lastly, generous. So it should not just be what we have left over. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, uh, Paul is going to use another church. So the Corinthians had dropped the ball here. They were fussing about giving. They didn't want to give. They didn't have a plan to give. These other churches were like, man, we can't wait to bless this other church that's struggling. God's given us a little bit. We want to give all that we can to bless them. Paul uses them in his example. 2 Corinthians 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 2 says, for, this is talking about some of the churches in Macedonia, some of the more struggling churches, not Corinth, a, a popular, you know, prospering town, but these struggling churches in Macedonia. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and, extreme, and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Did you hear that? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You know the story, the widow's might, right? not about how much. You're able to give this much. It's, you know, the person who was able to give thousands of dollars to the building campaign is, is no more virtuous than the person who was able to give five, if that's all you were able to give. You're honoring the Lord in that. So in their extreme poverty and their abundance of joy have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. It's incredible. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means... Of their own accord. This wasn't Paul milking them for more. I've heard a pastor saying, you know, here's our goal. We didn't meet it. Pass it again. This is not what Paul's doing. He says, this is on their own accord. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These were churches that, that they probably wouldn't have asked to help. They were so poor, they'd probably been like, you know what? We're not going to hit you guys up. Y'all just maybe try to get some new shirts. But they are begging to be a part of this. So, so much so, because of their extreme poverty and their abundance of joy has overflowed into generosity. See, their hands have been loosened to the things of this world. And they're saying, yeah, we don't have much, but what we have, we can bless these people. We'd love to. They're begging to be part of this relief effort. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's how we start. Don't start by saying, okay, how much do I got to give in order to be, you know, forgiven or in order to be accepted or in order to not get called out for this? He's saying these churches that are struggling, he said they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then that led to them giving to us, to the, to the mission. Here's the deal. We don't start talking about our own generosity without looking at the generosity of our God. The Bible says that he showed his love for us in this gave his son, that Christ died for us. This is a Christmas season that we're celebrating. This is the generosity of God. He gave it all for us. So we look at that, and then we give ourselves to him. You don't earn God's favor by giving money. I want to be abundantly clear with that. You can't earn God's favor at all. You get God's favor by calling on the name of Jesus. So you hear you're not a Christian. Give yourself to the Lord first and foremost. We have a God who doesn't need your money, doesn't need anything from you, and, and knows that all you deserve is hell, but instead left his throne, came to this earth to live, to suffer, to live a, a life of poverty even, and, and to give himself for us. That's generosity, reckless generosity from our God. 
where he says, at no regard for myself, I'm gonna provide for you. That is the father who's saying, return to me. He's a, he's, he's a father you can trust. He's a savior worth giving your life to. And then, that will propel you to deal with your finances. Don't make a giving plan without having the cross in view. One, because you might start thinking you can justify yourself by how much you give. But on the other side, you can start thinking that you don't have to give that much because you're better than so-and-so. Well, you want to compare yourself to Jesus and let that propel you to give. And you want to give to Jesus knowing that he's the, way that, he's the one that justifies you, not your giving. And in that, puts you in a posture of receiving blessings from God. Am I saying you're going to be rich if you start giving 10%? Nope. Am I saying you'll be blessed? Yep. That's the, that, God literally says, test me. So you're struggling. You're not sure. Step out in faith. This is a God calling his people back to himself. And he says the most practical and, and, and like get to the heart of it way that you can come back to me is by bringing your money. Put your money where your mouth is. That's how we'll start this reconciliation process. So you take that as you will. If you're struggling because of a past or history and you're not sure what I'm saying or what the Bible's saying, do not leave here bewildered or confused or scared. Let's walk through this. But I think if you'll let the word of God speak to you, you'll hear a good father saying, I want your heart. I love you dearly. I gave you all that I have so that we could have a relationship, so that I could provide for you. I don't want you struggling in fear. I don't want you wondering where your money's gonna come from. I want you to know that it comes from me. And I want to bless you. So you respond as the Lord leads. Uh, we're going to sing a final song. I want you to lay yourself before the Lord and ask him to tell you what is, that, what is that step of obedience. If you don't know Jesus, come give yourself to the Lord. If you're here and you're his child, are you trusting him? What would your paper trail say? Let that be honest, and then you respond to Jesus. God, we're grateful for who you are, that you're a God who does not simply ask more of us, but you are a God who has given all that you have to us. And I pray that that would compel us into a place of trust this morning, and that living in a place of trust would allow us to be a, a people of generosity. And as that we are a people of generosity, that, that you would begin to take your kingdom forward because of the, the movement of your people, the generosity of your people, that people in Southern Illinois and beyond would start to take note of what you're doing in and through your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.